may have a seat. Man, God is so good. I, seriously, I can't even tell you, this sermon's been sitting on my mind all week long, and I've been so excited to share it with you and then to hear these songs, and every one of the songs focus went back to Him or what He has done or is going to do in the spirit of who He is. And it, I can't even begin to tell you how perfect it fits with today's message. It's just a coincidence, just so you know. It's so good. How many of you love to get gifts? If you're not raising your hand, shame on you, because I know better. We all like to get gifts, especially the surprise gifts, right? Ones that you're not expecting, ones that just kind of catch you off guard. And a lot of times what happens is we, we get that gift and we are so excited and appreciative of the gift, but then something happens inside of us towards the gift giver. You ever notice that? There's a, a little bit deeper appreciation that kind of happens. There's a little bit more of a attention that is thrown that person's way. And so many times when we give gifts, we watch the people's countenance change, not because of, just because of the gift, but because they see our heart in our giving of the gift. And today, I just want to talk about what's getting ready to happen in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first four, 14 verses there. Next week, we'll look at Peter's response and how he leverages what happens in the first part of Acts chapter 2. And then in the third week, we'll look at what God does through all that. You okay with that? So we're going to take three weeks to go through one chapter. That's not anything different than what we normally do, right? But it's so good. And to try to cram it all together, it's impossible. Even trying to cram everything into today's sermon is really difficult. So I need you to just to kind of sit back, put your good listening ears on, and hold on. Because it's going to challenge your thinking in some ways. In a lot of good ways. Because there's so much good in this chapter. So let me remind us, let's reset the stage. Remember, Jesus died, he rose again, hung around for about 40 days, and then we talked about a couple of weeks ago him ascending into heaven and them standing there, and the angel says, hey, why are you still standing here? Get to work. And they go back and they choose a new disciple, and now they're ready to work. They're ready, but they don't know what that means. Remember, the last command that Jesus gave to them before he ascended was, hey, wait for the helper. Go wait. The helper will come. I need you to sit tight until he gets there. Now, they know his ascending commandment was to go into all the world, into Judea or Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and let's spread the gospel. But you can't do that until the helper comes. So they're kind of in limbo. They're sitting there waiting, and they don't know when it's going to happen. Anybody ever told you that you're going to get a surprise gift, but you don't know when you're going to get it? And what do you do? You're looking around every corner. You're waiting for every anxious moment. Every time they drive up in the driveway, you're looking to see if they're bringing the gift in, right? Come on. I know I'm not the only one who does that. That's what we do. And so imagine the disciples who lost their master, their true savior, the Messiah, their best friend, the one who took them out of their old life and restored them into the life that they were meant to have. He is gone. He's not there anymore. And he told them, hey, my helper is coming. The helper will be here. But he did not give them a timeline. But they were faithful in the waiting that's a whole other sermon, by the way. 
They were faithful in their waiting. But in Acts chapter 2, one of the most amazing things happened. And I can't wait to share the story with you. But here, I want you to see our main thought for today. If the boys are going to let me do my thing here. Thank you. Focus on the giver of the gift, not the gift itself. So many times we get so caught up, especially as kids. I mean, you can think back when you were a kid, you didn't care about who gave you the Christmas present. In fact, when people hand you birthday cards, you don't even look at who gave you the card. You just open it up, turn it upside down and shake it. Right? But as you get older, you start to appreciate the gifts that are given to you. And you start appreciating the gift giver rather than the gift. The gift, I mean, we we live in such an affluent society that we pretty much have everything we want and need. And so a gift that comes from someone usually is a little more special than anything else. And you begin to appreciate the giver of the gift. And I'm afraid in churches all across our country, all across the world, Christian believers, true followers of Christ have began looking at the gift that has been given to them instead of focusing on the giver of that gift, which is the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. We have placed too much stock in the gift that I am able to perform, that I'm able to do, that brings attention to me, that I forget to point everything back to the Holy Spirit. Because without him, I cannot do what I do. And I think this passage for me hit me funny because I think we have hijacked it in such a way that we place more focus on what happened and what they were able to do rather than who caused it. Now, some of y'all already know where I'm going with this. Some of y'all are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's okay. I'm getting ready to share it with you. But I want you, as we go through this passage, these 14 verses, I want you to see the gift giver over the gift. Here we go. In Acts chapter 2, oh, it is the first 13, sorry. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And in just a little bit, you'll see that this is um, the, the, uh, the festival or the, um, excuse me, uh, give me just a second. My brain's not working yet. Whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> slow down. I know the words I'm looking for here. It's the Feast of Weeks. It's about 50 days from the end of Passover, seven Sabbaths. So it's about 50 days, that's where we are. 40 days Jesus was on the earth, so we've got about 10 days after he ascended that they're just sitting around waiting. Now, if they're anything like us, they're getting impatient. He said the helper was coming, he's gone, where's it at? I can't sit around here all day and wait. Why not? Well, I just prayed about an answer, he's got to answer it now, why? Maybe there's value in the waiting. Maybe there's lessons to be learned in the waiting. When God called me to preach in 2007, he didn't put me as lead pastor until 2013. That's a little bit of waiting, but I had a lot to do. (laughs) Trust me. He had a lot of work ahead of him. There's value in the waiting. So these men and women are waiting for approximately, we can't, 
set a timeline exactly, but approximately 10 days, and they are all gathered together. There's about 120 of them, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, that are gathered together. And suddenly, so this didn't happen like over a long course of time. It happened instantaneously. There came a sound from heaven. So it's not coming from the left or right the way the winds blow. This is coming from top down. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty or a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Filled the house. They're not outside. But they heard and they felt it was loud and they knew something spectacular was happening in that moment. Have you ever had those moments? Maybe not quite like this, but you've had those moments where you kind of get chills and you know something's going on and I have no idea what it is, but it's good. Verse 3, then after this uh, mighty rushing wind sound comes through, fills the whole room, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. So they have these little flames that are kind of broken in two, just kind of flickering, look like a tongue sitting on top of their head. Now, can I just be honest with you just for a second? That would have freaked me out. I mean, seriously, we, we don't experience those type of things. Like, that's abnormal to us. If that happened today, I'd have to take a step back and take a deep breath. But why? If I was as committed as these who were following the words of their Messiah who said, wait, the helper was coming, this would not have caught me off guard. We have a long way to go. Because when God shows up and does spectacular things, sometimes we don't even recognize who it is. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So all of a sudden, this sound of a mighty rushing wind fills the room. These little flaming tongues are sitting on top of their head, flickering. And then natural as natural can be, they just start speaking other languages. Now, many of us want to hijack and say this is a heavenly language that's being spoken here and that is wrong. I'm just going to say it flat out because the next few verses tell us that it wasn't a heavenly language. We're not talking about the heavenly language that Paul's talking about of speaking with tongues of angels later on. We're talking about what happened in this moment by the Spirit of God in dwelling with these men and women. Everybody with me? Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So all of these festivals, all of these feasts, men from all over that were Jews would travel back to Jerusalem. That was the custom. So they're, they're around. And these houses, everything was to close quarters. The houses were probably had open doors, open windows. So as they're walking around, they're going to hear what's going on. Look at verse 6. And when this sound occurred... Not the mighty rushing wind, but the sound of the voices speaking all of the languages. Um, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. That's how we know it's just a foreign language. It's a language that was not common to the, these Galilean people. 
And they were speaking it fluently. So much so that the people that were outside of this house, as they're walking by, they gathered together because they hear what they're saying and they understand it. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? We're going to unpack that in just a minute because it's kind of sad and comical all at the same time. And they say, verse 8, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, um, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. That's a lot of people. Scholars say that it's about seven to eight different languages that were being spoken here. Not languages that can kind of morph into each other, distinctly different languages. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's what I love the most, I think. They weren't just speaking to speak. They were speaking the gospel message, the truth about God, that his son Jesus came and did an amazing amount of miracle work, that he died and rose again. That's what they're hearing. And they are amazed and blown away for the most part. Look what they say in verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Isn't that kind of what we're looking for? For people to kind of ask questions about what God is doing in our lives. But to do that, we need to live in a certain way that causes them to see that there's something different going on within us. It just happened to be in this instance that the Holy Spirit blessed them with the ability to speak different languages in that moment to where it could affect the people around them to create conversation about God. It may not be that for you. It may be a hardship in your life, but because of the joy that you exude as you're enduring this, someone may be so confused and perplexed and say, what does this mean? How can you be like this while you're enduring this? And guess what that does? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you how I can be the way that I am, because it's certainly not me. It is about him. That is why when I was listening to these songs and singing them with you, every one of them took with the great things that were happening and pointing it right back to Christ. But so many times what we do is we say, well, I have joy in my heart and I am strong and I can endure this and I can do that. And we leave out the most important part of why you have joy and why you have strength and why you can endure. It is because of the spirit of God that indwells in you. We as believers need to stop focusing on the gift. The gifts are important and we should leverage them. But please don't put so much focus on the gift that you leave out the gift giver. The one that is empowering you and actually doing something through the gift that he has given you. That's sinking in, I can tell. Maybe you're confused as to why I'm so passionate about that. I'm not going to list churches for you, but there are churches all around that leverage the gifts over the Spirit of God. They make it about the action rather than the Spirit doing what He does. 
And I'm just not interested in that. I'm just not. The things that he enables me to do, I know me well enough. Many of you know me well enough. You know it's got to be the Spirit of God doing it. It just is. And for these men and women, this 120 individuals that were empowered by the Spirit of God, they were able to do something extraordinary in order to point people back to him. And then look at verse 13, and then we'll get to the sermon. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people that want to play it off and divert the attention from where it's supposed to be to something different. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. In fact, next week when we see Peter's sermon, he's going to leverage this opportunity. He's going to spring into action because he's hearing the conversations going on. He's watching the people scratch their heads as to how this can be. And he hops up on his soapbox and he just lays it out. Here's the gospel of Jesus. That is what we are to be doing with this. So as we crawl through this, here's a couple of things I want you to notice. The win. This is a mass gathering due to the festival of weeks. This was a big deal, strategically planned, I'm sure, by God. We may not understand why, but it was while there were many Jews there. Jews that did not believe in Jesus, but knew God, but hadn't put everything together yet. And God wanted to leverage this opportunity to draw their attention to him. The where, this is Jerusalem, this is the the Mecca, the capital of where they needed to be for the Jewish faith. The who, there's 120 of these disciples, we find that in Acts chapter 1. Men and women that are together, not just the 12, but other disciples that had decided to follow Jesus. And they were there, they were gathered. And when the Spirit fell, it empowered all of them. Now that's an interesting concept when we talk about when the Spirit fell, right? Because we all the time pray, God, let your spirit fall. But please don't forget that the spirit already lives inside of you. All he's going to do is juice it up a bit. Why are we waiting for the spirit to fall? We already have him. Now granted, I, I get why we say that and I think it's important to pray for it. But please don't forget, you already have him. And the reason that maybe he's not doing anything is because you're not doing anything. You're strangling him. He's drowning. It is our responsibility, it's our job to be in the word and with God and commune with him so that his spirit that lives within us can be vibrant and strong and empower us to do whatever he calls us to do when he decides to call us to do it. And the what? The what's most interesting to me, right? Flaming little tongues? That had to be weird. Had to be a little different. I mean, seriously, come on. We all love to watch fire, most of us anyway. I, I could stare at a fire all day long. And it's interesting just to watch them flicker. It doesn't, it doesn't even compute with me how all that works. But to see a little flame that looks like a tongue dancing on someone's head would be different. It would just be different. It would get my attention. It might sober me up to say, okay, God's getting ready to do something big here. Just like those moments where tough things happen in your life, those are sobering moments to get your attention back to say, okay, God, what can I do with this? 
What are you going to do through this? How can we leverage this for your glory and my gain? He does that all the time. And so many times we fail to see, the, see it as a gift from the Spirit of God rather than just a hindrance. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 9 again. Look at all of those. I'm not going to read those again because they're hard words. Seven to eight different languages. There's a lot of different areas mentioned there. But this isn't just a happenstance thing. And a lot of times the tongue is used to represent languages. And so it's fitting that this flaming little tongue was on top of their head right before he empowered them to speak other languages. Kind of neat, right? So what is the significance with that? Why is this so important? Well, here's where I want to get back to the whole Galilean thing. The Galileans in their language was thought to be a weaker, more barbaric language. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's that, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't clean. It wasn't clear. It was, who knows what it sounded like, but people knew when you spoke, oh, you're, you're from Galilee. Now, if you'd have talked to me maybe like 20, 30 years ago, you would have known that I was from the hills of North Carolina. But I can hide a lot of that. But they couldn't. You knew as soon as you talked to them where they were from. They were also thought to be very ignorant and uncivilized type of people. So imagine this uncivilized, irreverent, obnoxious Horribly speaking people speaking your language clearly and cleanly like you had never heard before. That's why it's spectacular. That's why I know that it's not the Galileans that accomplished this. They're far too weak to do that. It's nothing against them. But when the spirit gets involved, we can do all things. Whatever he calls us to do, when God is involved, when his spirit that dwells within me empowers me and helps me do what he's called me to do, it will get done. Not because I'm awesome. Not because you're amazing. But because the giver of the gift, the spirit himself that lives within you is the most extravagant thing on the face of this planet. It is the one, he is the one that will accomplish all things through you and in you and around you. It's not you. And so many times we as church people, we as pastors, we think it's about us. I have to battle it all the time when people say, oh, you're doing such a great job leading that church. I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) No, normally I'm like, man, if you only knew. If you only knew how much I have to rely on him, if you only knew my worries and doubts and fears, if you only knew, it's really all him. It's always been him. It will always be him because I just know me. And so in this moment, you've got Jewish people from all over the known world and they are in this little place of Jerusalem just happened to be gathered around this little spot that the 120 were there when it just happened that this mighty rushing wind fills the sound of the room that these little flaming tongues just happened to be on their head and they just happened to be speaking the languages of the people that were around them it's just by happenstance of coinkidink no it's not it's not by chance it never is it's never a coincidence It's all in your perspective and how you choose to leverage it 
for his glory. And we know that Galilee is not good because Nazareth is there. And look what Nathaniel says. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And he was speaking of Jesus. That's how people felt about Galileans. They just weren't popular people. And so, so many times when we see God doing things in Scripture, he is always using the weaker and making them strong enough to accomplish his purpose. You ever thought about that? It's always that. That should tell you a lot about me, how weak I really am. Let's be real and honest. He uses the weaker things to show just how amazing he really is. Look at this verse, maybe. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Paul says, for when I am weak, that's when I'm the strongest. When we are our, at our weakest point, and I'm not saying we should always just um, make the comments and be self-deprecating and all of those things, but we need to recognize that without him, we can do nothing. That I am weak when it comes to accomplishing spiritual things, when it comes to running my family, when it comes to running a church, when it comes to just being a man. I am weak in those areas, and through him, he makes me strong. That's what he chooses to do. And in this moment, we've got a group of Galileans who are weak, and he turns it into an opportunity to show the power of his spirit. That's why. It's not because they're just the 12 disciples and everybody hanging around them get it. It's not because they were God's chosen people in that moment, and they were for the most part. But it's because of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that changes all of these things. And we talk so little about the Spirit of God because it's kind of weird for us. But every believer should know. And every believer should at some point in time in their life have experienced the moving of the Spirit of God in their life. It's that unknown voice that pops up in your head that tells you what you need to do and what you should do, maybe not what you wanted to do. Or to redirect your thinking that is fouled up into something that you never would have thought, but it makes total sense. And so many times we take that little voice in our head and we shut it down because it's unfamiliar to us. What a shame. This group of 120, they'd never experienced anything like this before. They didn't know what the Holy Spirit, what the helper was going to be. But when it hit, it hit. And when they knew it, they absolutely we're convinced that this is it. In fact, next week we'll see Peter's statements, how he knows this is it for me. When's the last time that you felt the Spirit moving and you jumped at whatever he called you to do? Or did you dismiss it? But Alan, you don't understand. You, I was at a tough spot. I didn't, I didn't have the funds. I was in a weird place in my relation. These disciples watched their friend die. They watched him rise again. They hung out with him for maybe about 40 days. And then they watched him float up into the air on clouds. And you're telling me your situation is jacked up? Can I just kindly and compassionately, as your pastor says, stop playing the victim? 
Life's hard. Life stinks. We live in an evil society that bad things happen. They just do. The question is, how are you going to leverage it for God? How are you going to let the Holy Spirit work in your life to change you so that you can draw other people to him? That's what's happening here. They've lost it. They gave up their entire livelihoods for this man. And now he's gone. And now they're sitting around, twiddling their thumbs for about 10 days, waiting for this mysterious helper to show up. They weren't pouting. They were waiting patiently, anxiously, intentionally, and they were ready. But Alan, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the distractions that I have. You're right, I may not. But you may not understand what I understand about the Spirit of God and how he can work in every situation. And that's my plea to you this morning is don't be the victim any longer. Leverage what is going on in your life for the allowing the Spirit of God to come in and change it for his glory. And I promise you, it may not fix it the way you want it to fix it, but it'll be better than what it was. Thank you. Notice what it says. They were what? Filled with what? Not knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is important. They weren't filled with knowledge. Wisdom is vital for our lives, but weren't filled with wisdom. They were filled with the source of knowledge. They were filled with the source of wisdom. They were filled with the source of joy, the source of peace and contentment. That's what they were filled with. It was the Holy Spirit that did this in their lives, and he wants to do it in yours as well. Here's the why. The reason the Spirit came and gave them this instant ability to speak other languages because they had just been commanded by Jesus to go into all the parts of the world, starting in Jerusalem, and do what? Preach the gospel. Well, I can't go into other parts of the world if I can't speak their language. Well, guess what? God knows that. And he blessed them in that moment with what they needed to accomplish the purpose that he gave to them, which tells me, when God calls you to wherever he calls you and calls you to do whatever he calls you to do, he will empower you with whatever you are lacking to accomplish what he has for you to accomplish. You don't have to figure it all out. Man, when I jumped into ministry, I had no idea what I was jumping into. None. I was a math major. I could crunch numbers. That was it. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to use some weak little poor Appalachian boy to accomplish the things that he knew on my own I could not accomplish, that I needed him to do it. To where when I stood before people like you, I could say, this is all about him. It's all about him. I'm glad you can speak in tongues or whatever. I'm glad you can sing. I'm glad you can, are hospitable. I'm glad that you have the gift that God has given you. But please don't leverage that to think that you are better than anybody else. In fact, 
Paul talks about so much that the greatest gift that we can use and leverage and give to someone else is love. Love. And in case you didn't hear me, it's love. But in this moment... He empowered them to do what he needed them to do, to be able to go out into all the other parts of the world. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. This, again, is not an angelic tongue-type based thing that exists now. This was a common language that they did not know but was known to another part of the world. That's what's happening in this passage. Do not hijack it and leverage it to build some theological case that is not substantiated by this passage. Yes, thank you. Here's another why. This gift was given not to be divisive. It was not meant to be divisive. It was meant to use to bring people to him. It was a sign for the unbelievers. Think about it. All of these men that were standing there, they didn't know what was happening, but they heard the truth of the gospel of Christ in their own language, and they were astounded, and they were amazed. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. What do you see in the first part of that passage? There's lots of different things going on, but what is the common theme? God, the Holy Spirit, it is all pointing back to him. You may be great in a different area than I am. It doesn't mean that you're better than me or that I'm better than you. It means that we serve the same God who is able to use us both to accomplish his will. And we've got to be careful. It goes on, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Just because God may give me a gift and he doesn't give it to you does not mean he loves me more. It just means that's not the gift he wanted you to have and he will give you the gift he wanted you to have when you're ready for it and when he's ready for you to have it. That's all that means. This Christian life is not a competition. But I'm afraid churches have made it that way. Well, we do this, and we have this, and we speak this, and we sing this. Great. How are you leveraging that for Christ? I can tell you how we're leveraging what we do here for Christ. And that's what we're going to keep doing. Because it's not about us. It's about him. 1 Corinthians. So chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul addresses the whole Um, gifts and tongues a lot. And look at verse 22. He says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Now, this could be talking about this uh, different angelic language that many people believe and have experienced in their lives. I've never experienced it. I've heard people, but the people that I've heard do it just seem very manufactured to me, but I I can't ever doubt it because I don't know what God's doing. To me, it seemed off. But I know, I'm confident that there are many people who have experienced this in their private lives in such a way that they just commune with God a little bit differently. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. And we have rules and things that we'll address if it ever comes up here. But we're just going to keep using the language that we know and that we're comfortable with, that we can all understand and keep moving in that direction. Amen? Great. 
But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Teaching truth, that's for the believers. But signs that confuse, signs that are a little bit different are for unbelievers to cause them to question. The gift will create questions and conversations. I love that thought. Think, think about it. What did they say? Whatever could this mean? Well, let me tell you. Why are you so happy? Well, let me share with you. How did you make it through all of that? Well, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. It creates those conversations. In fact, for me, 1 Peter 4, 15 is really talking about giving an excuse, a reason behind the joy and the salvation that we live. But I think it also applies to this. When God does something astounding in your life, we should be so ready to share the truth of the spirit that lives within us. We can't wait to tell people about what he's doing. We should be so ready, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. How can you be so happy through this dire circumstance? Let me tell you about my Jesus. How did you go through that, that health scare? Well, let me tell you about what the Spirit of God did for me during that. Folks, this life is between me and Jesus, me and God, right? It's our relationship, but our relationship is meant to be shared. It's meant to be spoken of. It's not meant to just hold on and keep forever just to me. We should be ready to talk about this. There's so many different things that God is doing all the time. And the gifts of the Spirit, the things that you have been empowered to do, they're so important. And they're so vital to His ministry. But it is His ministry. Please stop looking and focusing on the gift that He's blessed you with because you have forgotten about the gift giver. The gift giver is the most important person here. Focus on the giver of the gift, not just the gift that you have. And many of you have been blessed with gifts. Some of you are on the search. Some of you are patiently waiting for the helper to give you whatever that gift is. Don't overthink it. It may be just as simple as you have a great smile and that will create curiosity by an unbeliever and you can leverage that to share truth. You don't have to do what I do. You don't have to be up here on this stage to sing. You don't have to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher to be used by God. He used common Galilean men and women to bless them with a unique ability in that moment to be able to affect all that were around them. You have a community all around you all the time. It's your house, when you go shopping, when you go to work. What's God trying to do in your life to create those questions and conversations that he may be shared by you with whoever needs to hear it? As the praise team comes, let me share some questions for you. Question number one, is my focus more on the gift or the gift giver? There's nothing wrong with honing your gift. Like if I never did anything else to become a better preacher, that's not wise by me. It's a gift that he's given me and I need to work with him to make it sharper, right? Those are things that we should be doing. But if I focus more on the gift and I get away from focusing on who gave me the gift, that's a problem. This morning, where are you? Have you forgot about the gift of salvation that you are to share with everybody? 
Have you forgot about the gift giver that gave you that salvation? Number two, as I use my gift, do I reflect the gift giver? Meaning, as I stand up here and preach, am I reflecting Christ? Am I reflecting the Holy Spirit? Am I reflecting God? Am I living differently when I walk off this stage? Because that's definitely not a reflection of who God is. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And that's the way that I should live my life. How are you reflecting the gift giver in the way that you use your gift? And number three, am I willing to divert attention to the gift giver? Or do I just want to keep it myself? Listen, if you know me at all, I would be far happier to be in the back room where nobody can see me serving. I, attention is not my hunger pain. It's not my favorite. I do it because that's what he's called me to do and I'm willing to be submissive. How about you this morning? Are you trying to keep all the attention for yourself? Or are you willing to divert it and make sure people see Jesus in everything that you do and say? God, I appreciate all that you do. Thank you for just a chance to share your word this morning. God, we get so focused so many times on the things right in front of us and we forget to focus on the one that gave them to us. May we live our lives according to how you guide us and make sure that we point everyone back to who you are, how great you are and how amazing you are. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this opportunity. And I ask that you will move in the hearts of those that are here this morning. In Jesus' name.